Welcome to Asia Rising, a podcast from Latrobe Asia, where we discuss news, views, and general happenings of Asian states and societies. I'm your host, Matt Smith. North Korea is one of the most authoritarian and isolated countries, cut off from global trade and Western influence. Yet its doors remain open to tourists, who the government welcome and is keen to show the North Korea it wants them to see. Here to discuss tourism in North Korea is James Scullin, who has worked as a North Korean tour leader and is the author of a new book, Hotels of Pyongyang. Thank you for joining me today, James. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. So if you can start by talking to me generally about tourism in North Korea. So there's about 100,000 tourists that go to North Korea a year. Most of those are Chinese. I found out while I was doing research for this that there's actually two casinos in North Korea, but pretty much only for Chinese tourists. Yep. So what's it like for the tourism industry trying to attract those sort of people? Tourism's changed quite a bit in recent years in North Korea where, you know, throughout different cases of coronavirus and Ebola and and different types of economic strains between North Korea and the West, tourism hasn't really been a straight flow in North Korea. But I think now with the restarting of bilateral relations between China and North Korea, you see a lot of Chinese tourists in North Korea predominantly. And I think the Western tourists make up just a fraction of tourists these days. It's like 5%, isn't it? It's quite small, yeah. Yeah. The people who are going to North Korea, I suppose, from the West, are the more hardy, adventurous kind of travellers? Well, it's kind of interesting. So I started doing tours in about 2012, and a lot of people that you had on those tours were... Yeah, you did have those like adventure-seeking people that like to go to far-off land type of tourists. But you also had a lot of red tourists. So you had people from the former Soviet bloc. And particularly, there's always been a lot of East Germans who, who go to North Korea mm. because they're you know looking to rediscover their own GDR history. The metro trains in Pyongyang are the same metro trains from Berlin. So when you're on the Pyongyang metro, a lot of the East Germans are pointing out where the Ulban map used to be. Oh, what? It's literally the same trains that used to be? It's exactly the same. They took the train? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So there's a real nostalgia for East Germans on yeah. those tours. And I think it's quite similar for Chinese tourists as well, where every time you see a Chinese tourist in North Korea and you ask what motivated them to make the trip... of the time, they will say, because North Korea is what China used to be like 30 years ago. And a lot of these Chinese tourists are from regional parts of China. Mm. Um, And I think they're coming to North Korea because they have this nostalgia for what China used to be like, because I think North Korea does embody that cultural revolution type version of China that doesn't exist anymore. Um, But I think in North Korea, you do have a lot of political propaganda veneration for the dear leader like you would have had in China during Mao's time. But I think with Western tourists, on my last tour there, it was quite interesting where we were having a lot of debates over lunchtime and dinner about the globalised world. And a lot of the tourists were quite in favour of Brexit. They were quite in favour of Trump. You had a lot of these tourists that were very anti-establishment, anti-globalist. And I think their motivation is that, well, what's a bigger protest? What sticks the middle finger up at the globalized world than a country like North Korea? So even though ideologically there's nothing really in line, I think it's a sense of protest tourism where in the past you used to have these red 
communist-influenced travellers. Now it seems to be a bit of an anti-establishment trip to go to North Korea. So I, I, I noticed that was a change over the last five years in North Korea. And so while it's a small industry in North Korea, I get the impression that it's a very important one to the country as well, as far as this is showing the West that you can come here just as much as any other destination. And it's also a way to market what you're doing in the country as being a good thing, I suppose. Certainly, they do like to portray North Korea the way they want to portray it to foreigners. But I think the thing we often forget with North Korea is that it's a country with an economy. It's a small economy. But I think when people think that tourists are kind of propping up a nuclear program, like, you know, the numbers from tourism are quite minimal. And, you know, North Korea is quite resource rich. And a lot of those resources, I think something upwards of 90% go to China. Mm. And people often say that if Korea was one country, the North Korea is so rich in resources and the South is so rich with fertile agriculture, it actually balances out quite well as a country. So I feel like the numbers that tourism makes to the whole economy is quite minimal. And then thinking about the way the government works in North Korea, people think, well, look, if you're going on a tour, you're giving money to the government. And obviously that's true. But I think when we think of the government in North Korea, the government is everything. But within that government is a highly bureaucratic, highly segmented form of bureaucracy Mm. where you've got different departments that are vying for funding. And I think when you think of tourism, yes, they do want to raise money for tourism to the country. But I think a lot of that money is going into the tourist industry. So, you know, it's into renovating hotels. It's into buying new buses. And there's a city called Wonsan on the eastern coast of North Korea that's being developed as a tourist hub predominantly for Chinese tourists. So I think a lot of the money does get reinvested in those industries. And I think people have this narrow conception that, oh, well, if, if it's all the government, it's all going straight to the leadership. Yeah. But, you know, despite North Korea being a developing country, being a very poor country, there are sectors of that economy that need their own investment to grow their own departments and industries. Mm, mm. You pretty much just addressed the ethical questions that I got here. So oh, great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but what about the propaganda message then as well? Because I, I do know that the tourist experience in North Korea is very controlled and regimented. So can you tell me about that and what the experience is and how you are always guided? Yeah, yeah. So you are very right. You're guided 100% of the time. So you arrive at the airport, you go through passport control, which is actually strangely very friendly. And I know it's kind of strange to say that, but the passport controllers always kind of try and start up some chit chat with you as you come through. Yeah. I think part of that is because, you know, there's only one or two flights per day coming from either Shenyang or Beijing. They're bored, yeah. So they're bored (laughs) and they're kind of asking, you know, about what the weather's like in Australia. And, you know, most of the tourists are just, this is their first experience of North Korea and they're kind of charged for some very strident, you know, very strict Mm -hmm. welcome. Ironically, it's quite far from that. And then you meet your two KITC tour guides, Mm -hmm. they will be with you for the whole duration of your trip in North Korea. As in you can't walk the streets of Pyongyang by yourself if you wanted to go for a walk or anything like that? No, not at all. And I think, look, if you're having a good tour in North Korea, you'll kind of negotiate with the guides and hopefully they will permit to lead you on a walk of the streets one night after dinner. So you can maybe negotiate with them if you can kind of get some better access, if you've got a good relationship with them. Mm. But it's typically they are with you 100% of the time. 
But I think because it's such an official state view of the country, I feel like that really enhances the experience to some extent that you are receiving this propaganda of the state 100% of the time, no doubt. Mm -hmm. But I feel like they are very engaging to talk to you about what their country's like. So you can talk about thorny issues like the nuclear program. A lot of people do like to talk about the leaders, but it is like the old adage of talking about politics and, and religion can be uncomfortable at times. Yeah. And I think once you start to engage in these conversations that the North Korean guides are willing to engage with you on, the guides are very personable, they're very friendly, and there's so much more that you can learn from them because once you start talking about politics, you do get this very regimented government line on things and it does get a little boring. But then you have an opportunity to really ask them about what their life is really like. So, I mean, I like to ask them about what their parents did, you know, what it's like to get an apartment in Pyongyang, what it's like to date in Pyongyang. I remember one of the guides was telling me that on a first date in Pyongyang, it's really important to make sure you ask what blood type your prospective partner is. What? I think it's because North Koreans have a real good knowledge of understanding compatibility with blood types. Yeah, but that's a bit... It does kind of veer on the purity side of things. Yeah, yeah. But only by really talking about what their life is really like do you actually get to learn about the experience. So, yes, you're with government minders the entire time. Yeah. But these people are quite personable and they're quite affable and... You know, if you do veer away from politics, you can really flesh out what these people's life are like um, mm. and you can develop quite a good relationship with them. What's your blood type? I don't know yet. I don't know. I should I should find that out before my next trip. Yeah, yeah, you should. You should. See, this is why I can never date you. Yeah, okay. So yeah. I, I, I always be wondering. <laughs> yeah. You know? I'm B positive, by the way, just, if oh, you right, okay. just right. in case you ever need to <laughs> tap me for that. Um, the people you are meeting are in Pyongyang. Most of the tourists are not going to go outside of tourist areas. If you went to the country in North Korea, very different kind of perspective. Yeah. So what do you think people are missing out on there? In whatever extent the system does work in North Korea, mm. it works predominantly in Pyongyang. So Pyongyang is similar to a lot of global cities. So there's a quite extensive skyline. There's a lot of parks. There's a lot of movement on the street. There's a lot of traffic these days. Those kind of famous pastel colored buildings it's actually quite a vibrant city, and I don't think it was like that 10 years ago. I think it was much poorer when the country was much poorer. But definitely, once you get outside into the provinces of North Korea, you do realize that whatever money does go through North Korea does more or less directly go to Pyongyang. Stops at the border? Yeah. Yeah. And so when you travel from Pyongyang to other cities in North Korea, there's border checks. So that's not just for tourists. So as the tourist bus will go through and leave the jurisdiction of Pyongyang, it will get checked by a soldier and the guide will get out of the bus mm. and the soldier will count how many tourists are on the bus and see that it all adds up. But that border crossing is also for North Koreans themselves. So those who live in Pyongyang are considered favorable citizens that do have quite a let's say, positive relationship with the government. Okay. And I don't think that's the same for a lot of North Koreans across the country more broadly. Mm. And I think for that reason, there are those border checks. So, look, North Korea is a very poor country and it's very much a developing country and you do see that in regional parts of DPRK. So, essentially, if I was a North Korean and I got stopped at the border trying to get into Pyongyang, mm. 
they would check my card. I would imagine that you can get authorization for short stays yeah. um, because a lot of people from the countryside do visit Pyongyang. Um, they do visit events like the mass games and they do visit military parades. And I think the government is keen to show them how successful the country is going. Mm. And I think more or less that is existent in the capital city of Pyongyang. So it's not really that those people are forbidden from visiting Pyongyang, but it's similar to that, you know, China has a hukou system where the mobility between moving from the countryside to the urban areas isn't easy. Mm. So you can travel to visit those places, but it's it's quite difficult for you to actually relocate. And I think it's a similar system in North Korea, albeit a little more militaristic. Yeah. Having said that, that is a side of North Korea that a tourist wouldn't see. They'd see Pyongyang, they wouldn't see the other side, really. Well, for sure, yeah. So your itinerary is made by the North Koreans and there are only limited places that you're permitted to go throughout the country. Mm. So tell me about your book, Hotels of Pyongyang. I'm keen to know how the hotels in Pyongyang are different to what you would see elsewhere in the world. What makes them unique? And to you, what makes them so interesting that you would assemble this book? Well, as we've talked about, your experience of being in North Korea is one of being on a guided tour. So after a quite a frenetic day of visiting museums and visiting mausoleums and revolutionary tourist sites, you typically have dinner somewhere in the city and then you are in the hotel for the rest of the evening. So you're not free to walk around and you know check out the latest in North Korean nightlife. You mm. do spend a lot of time in that hotel. But I just think because of the era when these hotels were built, I mean, they're very much Soviet structures and they're very much built in that brutalist architecture veneer. Yeah. I remember that we had a Russian girl on a tour a few years ago and she remarked that just being in the lobby of one of these hotels, it smelt like her childhood. So there really is a connection between these hotels in Pyongyang and North Korea that were once so closely enmeshed in that Soviet family and that's really embodied through the architecture. So I've always been interested in Soviet architecture, um, mainly just because it's so different to what we have in the West. Mm. And there's a great publisher called Fuel that makes these great books on Soviet metro stations and Soviet bus stops. And I thought, well, look, I've been leading these tours to North Korea and I have this access to the country. What's something that I can kind of produce and contribute to reflect what this country looks like? Well, the hotels are such a large part of your experience in North Korea. Mm. And also it's something that we have access to as foreigners. Inside these hotels is probably the place where you get to roam as freely as you possibly can in North Korea. So the hotels are very extensive. They have very large lobbies, yeah. very grand dining halls. Most of them have a revolving restaurant that you can sit up and have a drink at. They all have very strange, kitschy karaoke rooms. So architecturally, they're very interesting places to explore. But making this book, we got the opportunity to check out a lot of the less visited hotels in Pyongyang. And what was really surprising was how different they all were to one another. You'll go into a dining hall where there's green and orange tablecloths and the waitresses are wearing these, you know, little green blazers. And the karaoke room at the Corio Hotel is probably one of my 
favorite rooms in North Korea because it's just it's just so kitsch and it it has all these wooden beads that hang down from the ceiling it's got three types of tilings on the floor and mm. what can only be described as groovy swivel chairs like it's very 70s influenced and I think what's interesting about it is that North Korea is such a uniform country where when you're over there, people do wear Mao suits and they do wear, you know, if you go to a pool in North Korea, there seems to be only one or two types of bathing suits that people can choose from. But within these hotels, there seems to be so much creativity that the people who have designed these hotels are expressing themselves to whatever extent they can in North Korea. Is it also because there's an element of these hotels are for tourists who are outside North Korea. For sure. So is segregated the right word? You are not going to run into a lot of North Koreans in these hotels, maybe at all, who aren't working there. Well, look, I think interestingly, each hotel has its own, you know, hotel shop where you can buy souvenirs and all different types of things to drink and eat. But I think they really function a lot as supermarkets these days. So there'll be another entrance that leads out onto the street that's for North Koreans. Oh, so they can come in through a different entrance and yeah. and use the shop. I don't think buying frozen fish is really much benefit for a foreigner mm. in a hotel for a short period of time. But I think those hotels do offer the best of North Korean society in a sense that Pyongyang is offering the best of North Korean society comparatively for cities. But look, you know, in the hotels, there's a lot of billiard halls and, you know, you can play a game of pool with North Koreans. Mm. A lot of the hotels have golf simulators and obviously karaoke rooms. So, you know, like North Koreans all can sing My Heart Will Go On. They can all sing Edelweiss for some reason. So a lot of these kind of communal karaoke rooms are a chance for some type of engagement with North Koreans. How did you go about getting access to these hotels as well? Tell me a bit about the hotels themselves. How many are there and how many did you cover in the book? How did you choose them, that sort of thing? So we've covered 11 in the book, um, 10 of which are the hotels that foreigners are permitted to stay at in Pyongyang. And that other one being the Ryugyong Hotel, which is quite famous in that it's been under construction for about 30 years. Mm. And so, that, that's quite an iconic building in the city, isn't it? Well, it's just an ongoing project. Yeah. yeah so it's it's got this space shuttle design. Mm. Just in the last few years was the exterior finished. And now it has a purpose of showing LED lights on the screen. So it will show you know all different types of North Korean propaganda for a few hours of the evening. And I think that precinct is under development to be a bit of a lifestyle hub in Pyongyang. But I don't think the hotel itself has an open date. Mm. So leading tours for the travel company Juche Travel Services, which was the travel company I was working for. So we have some contacts at the Korea International Travel Company. And so, look, I simply approached them and said, I'm really interested in documenting these hotels. Um, I think it's something a foreign audience would really find interesting. As restrictive as photography can be in North Korea, particularly when you think about military and poverty and things that show the country in a negative light, those are the things that the North Koreans are really sensitive to Mm. with regards to photography. But I think in terms of tourism and their hotels and and their unique architecture, I don't think they really have any hang-ups on, you know, foreigners being able to document that. So they were quite encouraging about the project. But North Korea isn't the most well-run country organisationally. So when we would arrive at some of these hotels, they didn't really know about our project. So fortunately, we had 
two great guides, uh, Miss Ree and Miss Puck, who were just so hardworking for us in terms of getting us access to those hotels. Mm. But I think the main selling point was that, you know, we're looking to show a very neutral side of North Korea. Like these buildings exist and they're very unique and they really embody a lot of the detail and style and attention to detail that is quite reticent in North Korea. I think these hotels and particularly the people that work there do show a side that there is creativity in the country to some extent. And the people that work at the hotels, even though they do live in a country that's so isolated from the world, they do take a lot of pride in what they do. And that's what we really tried to capture with the doormen, the concierges, the karaoke mistresses, the waiters that, you know, these are people that have their jobs and they work at these hotels day in, day out. And they keep the hotels in quite immaculate condition, considering Mm. the circumstances under which country they exist in. And I think that's just a very neutral side of a country that's otherwise quite polarizing and controversial. Yeah. So if I could ask you specifically about a couple of choices and photograph techniques and everything like that, because it's Mm. it's a beautiful book. It's Mm. very dynamically shot. The colors in it are amazing. The subjects are great. There are very few people, unless there are people working in the hotel, I think I spotted in a couple of photos actual patrons. Yeah. Is that a decision or is that was that a restriction? Uh, yeah, so I think, uh, I guess that's one of the, I wouldn't say regret, but we do propagate that trope of Pyongyang being a very desolate place and, and North Korea being very desolate. Mm. Um, but the fact of the matter is all the hotels were full to capacity when we were over there in April 2019. Really? But I think yeah. with, with the way tourism works over there, the pace is so frenetic. You know, you wake up really early in the morning and the, the North Koreans just have your itinerary just packed with, you know, museums and places to go and dine and parks to go and see and, and day trips that you make that a lot of the hotels are actually quite vacant. So for our project where we were just exclusively there to shoot the hotels Mm. during the day all the hotels were empty yeah Um, so which really made it great for us you know getting those set pieces of dining halls and lobbies and revolving restaurants Mm -hmm. but the staff were still there so the staff don't take a break and i remember being in a dining hall all the linen was all pink and then a waitress walked in and she had this pink jacket and and there's a very Wes Anderson feel to North Korea in a sense where it's just such a... That's a good way to describe these photos. Yeah, it is like somebody went through from the set of a Wes Anderson movie and just gone, yep, we'll take one of those, one of those, one of those. Well, I, th- I think that's just the North Korean sense of, yeah. of, of colour schemes and mm. attention to detail. So this girl would walk in and she she was setting tables and she had this, um, you know, this pink blazer on and obviously this is the shot. We get the woman that, you know, manages this whole dining hall mm. But what was quite challenging is that we would ask the guides if the waitress wanted to be in the photo. And just the modesty of these people is that they're so humble and they're so shy. And so through the guides, she would be saying, oh, well, why do you want to take a picture of me? I'm just a waitress here. And, you know, the photo would be much more beautiful if I was out of it. Mm. But then, you know, the guides that we had were very hardworking. They said, oh, no, don't worry. They'll make you look really great. And, you know, they really want you to be in the image. And even, you know, after 20 minutes, the waitress would be saying, oh, no, no, I can't be in the photo. And then she starts, you know, fixing her hair a little bit and, you know, looking in the looking in the mirror. And it's obvious that it's going to be an eventual yes. But I think just this modesty yeah. of North Koreans not really wanting to be very forthcoming, not really wanting to be quite alpha and, and, and take center stage. Mm. And then once a lot of these people would pose for a photo, 
they would be quite stoic in their expressions. So would be, you know, joking and having a lot of fun with them off camera. But in the images, there's quite a stoic expression on a lot of the faces of the staff of these hotels. And I think that is quite similar to how in our culture, 100 or 150 years ago, it was quite impolite to smile on camera. And I think that's where North Koreans are, where when you take an image of someone, you look quite stoic and you look quite formal. So we do have a lot of images which have vacant hotels and we do have a lot of expressionless expressions of people who work in those hotels Mm. but the reality is actually quite different the hotels are quite vibrant of the evening and the staff are very affable and they're quite friendly but i think just for their poses for portraits they do have this quite predictable formal pose Uh, i saw a couple of hints of smiles in there Right, just, yeah. Just, just okay. a little bit. Well, just we're breaking tw- through a little bit. A twinkle around the eye <laughs> yeah. every now and then. The other thing that I wanted to ask is about room subjects in particular. A lot of the photos that I saw, uh, you had exteriors, you had interiors. They were very public spaces. You had pools, you had dining halls, you had karaoke bars. Yeah. You didn't have things like kitchens. You didn't have hotel rooms that I saw. Nothing... Mm really behind behind the scene. Was that a a restriction that you were given or a restriction that you imposed on yourself? Um, No, I think it was just more a creative decision that the photographer, Nicole Reed, who's taken, you know, some brilliant photos in the book. Mm. I think we just decided that the public spaces are what we want to capture for the book. You know, hotel rooms are very interesting in North Korea as well, but I think you do have restrictions in terms of what standard hotel room you can visit yeah so a lot of these hotels do have presidential suites so i understand that when dennis rodman visited north korea he would say the presidential suite of the Corio hotel of course he would yes that is quite a personal private experience of being in these hotels and i think what we wanted to capture is what are these public spaces like even in a hotel that's not what we would consider the most public space in the Western world. Mm. But I think just kind of having this basis for comparison that all these hotels have similar dining halls, they have restaurants, they have karaoke rooms, they have leisure facilities, they have pools. And I think just being able to develop that comparison between each hotel to show how different and idiosyncratic they all are, Mm. just to really try and put forward that notion that not everything's all the same in North Korea. People aren't robotic drones of the government there are personalities there's people and there's a lot of creativity that with the limitations of hotels we've tried to capture in our book this sounds fascinating and the book's definitely worth having a look through and uh, thanks very much for your time today james yeah thanks matt cheers you've been listening to asia rising the podcast from latrobe asia you can subscribe to this podcast on apple podcasts soundcloud spotify or wherever you may cast your pod You can follow Latrobe Asia on Twitter. We are at Latrobe Asia. And you can find out more about James's book on both Facebook and Instagram. Just look for At Hotels of North Korea. I'm Matt Smith, and thanks for listening.